the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. The Arizona Diamondbacks have officially done it. They called up their top prospect, Jordan Lawler, but it comes at a bit of a cost. Steve Zinsmeister with Alex Weiner covers the team at ArizonaSports.com. Uh, big day that we've all talked about for a couple of weeks now. Jordan Lawler, top prospect, really the top prospect in the organization. Spent about two weeks <laughs> in Reno. Sure. And that doesn't seem like a long time, but for a guy who's one of their super prospects and really one of their only ones, um, there's this blatant hole at the major league level at third base. There's an opportunity for him to play shortstop at the major league level. It made sense that they had to go out and make this move. It's just it comes at the cost of DFAing your longest tenured player in Nick Ahmed. So kind of a bittersweet moment for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, there's so much to unpack with everything that happened yesterday. So the game happens, they win 12 to 5 and then kind of like going behind the scenes a little bit. Usually like Tori comes and talks first and then you go to the clubhouse to get the pitcher and you know Corbin gets hit with a pitch. He exits the game. It's like, Twice. oh, that, yeah, gets hit <laughs> in back-to-back plate appearances. He gets hit yeah. by a pitch, gets hit in the wrist, has to leave. And it's like, oh, that's going to be the story of today. It's like, is Corbin okay? So then post-game in the interview room, Zach Davies comes in first. It's like, oh, that's not good. Usually Tori is in first. And then Alec Thomas, after he drove in five runs, comes in second. And so it's like, okay, what's, what's taking so long? And then Corbin comes in third and is basically like, I'm totally fine. Um, x-rays came back negative. It hit me like on a meteor part of like the wrist area. And I expect to be good to go uh and then you know the news comes out nick pecoro was the first to break it tory comes in and he announces it himself which is also atypical because usually he lets the roster moves go out and then he'll address them after they are made public and official he kind of took the onus to do that he was clearly emotional after having the conversation with nick ahmed who's been there the entirety of lavello's tenure so yeah it was so much stuff kind of flying around but at the end yeah jordan lawler comes up Somebody who they see is a high upside prospect who they needed more production out of that spot against left-handed pitching. They hadn't got it from Nick Ahmed this season. And, you know, Ahmed hasn't never been an offensive superstar, but typically he has natural splits throughout most of his career. This year he's had pretty aggressive reverse splits and hadn't been getting it done against lefties. So you bring up Lawler, who has been crushing lefties, albeit at the minor league level. And so now it's kind of like this exciting new era of like Diamondbacks baseball where you have... Jordan Lawler, you know, with Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas, it's just another guy, another one of their top prospects in the mix. And now he's got, you know, three weeks to help contribute to this team's playoff push. Uh, In Amarillo and Reno combined this season, Jordan Lawler has 20 home runs, 67 RBIs, 36 stolen bases, by the way. He had 39 last year. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got a 278 average. Uh, That's been a lot higher in Reno than it was in Amarillo, which I think I find interesting. The slugging is almost 500, which is really, really good. So there's no doubt this is a good player. He brings an element to the shortstop position you haven't really had maybe ever, in the Diamondbacks' history, and that's a ton of speed, power. He's got pretty much every tool in the book. Sure. Um, And so in that way, I I think it just became obvious they couldn't wait any longer if they were going to put the best team on the field to try to make the playoffs. There was no argument that Jordan Lawler wasn't the best option. Sure, and obviously you want somebody to get the reps. He just got promoted in the middle of August to AAA. You want to see them get the reps first, but at, at, at some point... I guess kind of going backtracking a little bit, he got off to a rough start offensively this year. Uh, the first month and a half, two months, he was hitting below the Mendoza line. There was thought of putting him on the developmental list. Um, but pretty much from June, July into August, he 
was red hot for AA Amarillo. He gets the call up to AAA and just continued that same um, projection there. So, yeah, he had done, you know, he, he had shown the ability to come up and, and hit at different levels. Now it's a major jump to the major league level, but he's sure. a quality at bat. He doesn't swing and miss a ton. He's got great bat to ball skills. And you're right about the power, especially for a middle infielder, somebody who can hit 20 home runs. You know, it's a minor league season, but it's, it's still power um, that they haven't had from, you know, the left side or the infield really this year. And kind of going back to what the Diamondbacks had right now, third base has been sort of a black hole offensively, especially recently. Longoria's had his moments this year. Emmanuel Rivera's had his moments this year. But overall, that's been a position of weakness right now. Lawler has played one game at third base in his minor league career, and it just so happened to be the night before he gets the call-up. So, but, but he's still an option over there. Lavello has said as much, and... You can put him at shortstop. You could put Geraldo Perdomo at third base, who has more experience there. Maybe it's a situation where, you know, shortstop, you have a lot more responsibility. And because it's throwing a lot on a 21-year-old coming up to the major leagues in a playoff push, that maybe let him play third base. And it's more of like a read and react position than shortstop is and have Perdomo, who's been there, doing that at shortstop all year. I'm not sure what that balance is going to look like. But, yeah, you're right. The upside is tremendous offensively. Once he gets on the bases, kind of like Corbin, he can make anything happen, really. So, yeah, it's just they boosted the ceiling of the team while costing them some, you know, veteran depth who they'd been relying on for a long time in Nick Ahmed. um, But he just wasn't getting it done against lefties this year. And that's what they really need going down the stretch. Wouldn't be a bad pinch runner in a game where he doesn't start sure, as well. Sure. So it's it, it's a guy who can carry a lot of weight no matter what position he's playing, no but, matter what he's doing. Yeah, and they're about to face Justin Steele. So True. Who's been the best you know left-handed starter in the National League this year, arguably him and, and, and Blake Snell. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure that definitely was a factor too in trying to get your best possible lineup for this series. Yeah, and with that, Torrey Lovello has already committed to playing him 100% of the time against left-handed pitching. Yeah. That's a pretty bold uh, commitment from a manager on a 21-year-old rookie. But then you look at the splits and it makes sense, right? In the minor leagues this year, he's hitting 423 against left-handed pitching uh, compared to the 249 against righties. I'm not worried about the 249. I'm just trying to point out how dramatically awesome that is against lefties. His on-base is 506 against left-handed pitching. He's on base every other time. Uh, OPS of 1.267. That's 500 points higher than against righties. It's insane how good he's been against left-handed pitching, so I get the commitment early. I do hope that we continue to see him at least a little bit against righties because if you don't play a guy against righties, he's not going to get good against righties. So I do hope that we see a little bit of that as well. The last time I saw Jordan Lawler in person would have been the series, the exhibition series that they play at Chase Field right before the regular season. Against Cleveland. Against Cleveland. I was sitting behind home plate. Not to humble brag here, but uh, the only time I've ever uh, shelled out for behind home plate. And uh, he hit a home run in that game, that last, or at least the last one that I went to. And then I think I saw him in the fall league as well. Um, This is just a player that every time I see him on the field, he does something that wows me. Mm -hmm. And the only other player I can really say that about lately for the Diamondbacks is Corbin Carroll. And it's not that they're identical players. They're really not in a lot of ways, but that energy and excitement that fans are going to have about this particular player compares only to Corbin Carroll. Sure. I totally agree with that. And it's so fun. Interesting because, you know, last year they make the call up for Corbin at the end of August. This year they do it for Lawler at the beginning of September. Corbin was the 2019 draft. Lawler was the 2021 draft. And that makes it so interesting because, oh, they did it with Corbin last year. They have to do it with Lawler this year. Lawler's a whole year behind 
Um, and so for him to make that jump this quickly and, and great, he didn't miss an entire season, essentially like Corbin did with a shoulder injury back in 21. But, you know, Lawler's had his, has had his nicks and bruises too. Um, you mentioned the fall league. He played 11 games and got hit by a pitch and was done for the fall league too. So, but for him to make this ascension so quickly, um, it really says a lot about what he's been able to accomplish in the minor league level. So yeah, absolutely. There should be a lot of excitement for this. Um, you know, it's, this is probably the most exciting stretch of Diamondbacks baseball probably in a long time, just given they're this close. They're half a game out of a wild card spot, I believe, going into play against this, uh, going into the Chicago Cubs series. They got, you know, three home series left. I mean, this is going to be pretty exciting stuff for D-backs to go see this guy. Yeah, I mean, if we got to October and they missed out on the playoffs by a game or two and Jordan Lawler was sitting in Reno raking, we yeah. would all be looking yeah. at each other like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, it's it's the obvious thing. And so I think they made the right choice. I remember I interviewed Jordan Lawler on my show uh, in the Fall League, and I asked him, has the team given you any sort of time frame? Like, hey, you could get called up this year. Or, hey, we're, we're probably thinking 2024. Right. And, you know, he played it cool. And he, he says, like, those conversations don't really happen. They don't tell you ahead of time. Yeah. like Because then there's unrealistic expectations. And that can mess with the player's head. Like, You're I'm supposed shooting to be called up by now. specific date. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so everything he said made sense to me. But then it's funny how quick things developed. Because, like you mentioned, Lawler played third base the other night in Reno. And everyone's like, all of a sudden, oh, they're preparing him for a natural call-up because they have a hole at third base. Less than 24 hours later. And then, <laughs> there you well, go. <laughs> like 12 hours later, Nick Pecoro writes a piece for the Arizona Republic that says the Diamondbacks are preparing him for a potential call-up. Then hours later, they call them up. So yeah. it, it, it almost feels – I know it's not this way, but it almost feels like – the Diamondbacks realized within like a 12-hour period, oh, man, we got to call up this Lawler kid. He's pretty good. I know it's not how it worked, but it just felt that way with the urgency and the immediacy of him playing third base, which Tori Lovello has already said is an option, that they could play him at some third base. Yeah, th- that felt like – I didn't realize until this morning because uh, Amiel Sade went on the air. I, Lawler had two home runs in his last game as on the Reno Aces. So they asked Amiel on Wolf and Luke, I believe it was, and he said, oh, yeah, he played third base last night. So I go back into the game log. I was like, oh, my gosh, he played third base last night. That's that's a bigger deal than I think than just somebody switching positions because he hadn't done it before. And, you know, they've been adamant about him playing shortstop and him being a work in progress at shortstop, having all the athletic tools to do it. It's just about perfecting the position, and he's been improving a lot at that. So to move him over to third was just like such a ding, 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 ding. They're they're ready to really give this guy a serious look because he knows they know he can fill that role potentially with them, given the lack of production they've had there. So, yeah, that immediately set off alarm bells. And then within like 30 minutes of me listening to that, Nick's article comes out. It's like, okay, so this is going to happen. It's just a matter of is it after today's game? Is it going to be going into the New York series? Because usually this happens at the beginning of a series. Um, and so it'll happen, you know, unfortunately for us, it happened at the beginning of a road series. Yeah. Uh, it would have been great to get to watch him in person, uh, for the Rocky series, let's say, but, um, that didn't happen, but yeah, it, it felt inevitable once it's like, okay, they're switching his position. That's because they're, they're going to try to slot him in here somewhere. Um, I was curious what other move they were going to make. So is it going to be one of the third basemen going down or getting DFA'd or is it going to be Ahmed and it was Ahmed? So that also gives you a look as far as like, oh, against lefties, they're just they're going to put him at shortstop and keep, you know, Longoria or Rivera at third base and then against righties. Maybe it's Perdomo at shortstop and Lawler at third base or maybe some of the time it'll be Lawler and some of the time it'll be Jace Peterson and some of the time it'll be Longo. 
I'm not sure what that balance is going to look like, but yeah, it, it felt inevitable once we got to a certain point. I want to dive more into Nick Ahmed and his sure. time as a Diamondback here in just a second. But the last question I have for you on Lawler, my understanding of postseason roster eligibility is that you're supposed to be on the roster on the 40 man, at least mm-hmm. on August 31st when you're going into September. Jordan Lawler was not. He was called up. What was it? Yesterday was the 6th. So about a week late. I don't think it's a, he's officially been called up yet either okay so i think it would be technically maybe today today then yeah Yeah. um so about a week late for automatic postseason roster eligibility that doesn't mean it's the only way you can make the postseason roster though you can make it as an injury replacement Mm -hmm. you would basically have to replace somebody who's already on the 60 or i think even the the 10 day il or whatever it is um so i think there are ways they can finagle him into their postseason roster is that as easy as i'm making it sound yeah Okay. Pretty much. I mean, I mean, you have to be, you have to have somebody on the injured list for a certain amount of days based on what their injury designation is. They have, they have plenty of guys. They have Austin Adams and Mark Melanson and Dre Jameson, who's, you know, Tori has said his season isn't necessarily over, but it's sort of a wait and see, and it would be at the very end. Tommy Henry, whose season is likely over, so, so they have guys whom he can replace. So yeah, if if they do get into the postseason, they shouldn't have much of a problem getting him on the roster. One area they might have, where they do have a little bit of a of a question. I guess it's not much of a question, but is that backup catcher because they made several moves yesterday, and I guess we can go into other ones later or not depends. But so it was the Lawler for Ahmed switch. They're going to call up Ryan Nelson to start against the Cubs today on Thursday, and they sent back Bryce Jarvis, uh, and then they also optioned Jose Herrera, the backup catcher, because they claimed Sevi Savala off waivers from the Chicago White Sox. So I guess by optioning Herrera, Savala is going to come up to the major leagues and be the backup catcher for the the rest of the season, I suppose, like that. But one of the rules for postseason eligibility is you have to be within the organization by September 1st, and that's not going to be the case with Savala. So if they do make the postseason, they would have to bring back Herrera, which is... You know, kind of like, okay, so why did you get Savala then? It's kind of odd because it's it's an interesting situation. If he's going to be sitting in Reno for the next three weeks, then is that the best lead in to being on a postseason roster? I mean, you would think he would get brought back at some point in September. I mean, if they make the postseason, he's not going to start any of the games anyway. Um, No, I I agree. It's going to be Moreno. So, yeah, I guess I guess they figure. I don't know. I'm not. That's that's an interesting one. Maybe because Savala does have a lot of team control left that he's just catcher depth for the future and he's a good defensive catcher and a good blocker and a good framer and that maybe he can help you know defensively uh, a little bit more down the stretch and then they can turn to Herrera in the postseason when they'll be leaning heavily on Moreno I don't know but yeah as far as postseason eligibility rules that's sort of the tugging at least we're not back to a three catcher system I've had a lot of nightmares from no no that wouldn't have made that would not have made any sense for this roster um let's dive more into Nick Ahmed because I think Mm -hmm. he deserves this conversation uh it was clearly a difficult decision for the organization to move on from their longest tenured player he's been here about 10 years he's been here for the entirety of Tori Lovello's tenure as well as Mike Hazen um Tori looked torn up by this he was on the verge of tears talking about it he he discussed how Nick Ahmed has basically been his right hand man like almost like a manager on the field and when he makes decisions he you know they're on the same page all the time because they've just been around each other so long yeah and I understand that I also understand the business decision here and Nick really laid it out pretty well too very professionally he understands, you know, he's just not hitting. And you look at the last two seasons in particular, maybe three seasons, he's hitting 212 this year. His on base is 257. That's unacceptable from an offensive standpoint. 
Um, his OPS plus is 54. It's the lowest of his career since he was practically a rookie. Um, so he's just not getting it done on offense. His defense, while I think has slipped a little bit since his prime days, he's still a very good defensive replacement, but at this point in the season, they didn't think a defensive replacement was worth keeping around when you have the offensive upside of a potential player like Jordan Lawler. It sucks to see Nick Ahmed go. I think he's got an argument for best shortstop in Diamondbacks history (laughs) just because of the longevity and the defense being at an elite level. Uh, I don't know who else comes into that conversation. Steven Drew comes to mind, maybe, but uh, it's not a crowded field at that position. He's been holding it down for almost half of the franchise's yeah. lifespan. Yeah, that that that's that part of it's pretty crazy. I mean, out of 25 years, he's been the guy. They trade for him in 2013. He makes his debut in 2014, and he's just been there. He's been penciled in for such a long time. Um, you know, Tori said, you know, after the game and after he announced the news that. You know, he's he's imagined them making the postseason and one of his first embrace, or his first embrace being Nick Ahmed, given everything that he's been through with the organization. He's been there in 2017 when they make the postseason. He's been there in 21 when they went, they lost 110 games. He was there before Lavello. So it's, you know, it is definitely probably bittersweet. I, you know, on the field, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, and you're right, Ahmed took accountability for that. I mean, his job was to hit lefties and to provide stellar defense. And it just when you're in a lineup and it's just it's been that difficult i mean his ops against lefties was 404 that was worst in the league uh among qualified hitters against left-handed pitching so and and you're right defensively he he still could get to a lot of balls the the arm wasn't what it once was but it he could still get to a lot of baseballs and so he was valuable defensively in that way um but yeah it's it's been sort of a difficult road for him because so he get, he hurts his shoulder diving for a ball in 2020 and then he plays through it in 21 the Numbers go down. Last year, he misses most of the season. He gets shoulder surgery. This year, he comes in in a platoon role, which is not something that he's really had to do much at all. Um, so he platoons with Perdomo. Perdomo plays, gets most of the starts. I think Ahmed started 54 games, if I had that number correct. Uh, it was 54, 55 games this season, which is a significant decrease when he's been healthy throughout his his career. And something that Lavello has said they've had a lot of difficult conversations about that and him wanting answers and all that kind of stuff so it's it's been very different season for him than typical and yeah it's just got to a point where you know maybe if they're not in a playoff race you know they're they make some sort of different move to keep Ahmed around but I mean and it's it's tough for a guy who's been here this long and now they're this close to the playoffs to get cut like that but at the same time, you know, on the field, they needed to do what they could to up the ceiling of the team, and that was to bring up Lawler. But, yeah, you're right. It's definitely a bittersweet moment for especially given how much he's given to the organization at this point. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that. So the Chicago series, four games at mm-hmm. Wrigley, a lot of day games, uh, which is something that we're not necessarily <laughs> used to seeing baseball at 11 a.m., but that's kind of what we're looking at. Yeah. Um, Chicago, a lot of day games this week. They had two against the Rockies. So. Yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe they were preparing for the yeah, trip exactly. to Wrigley. Uh, Chicago's three and a half up, uh, well, four games up on Arizona. Mm-hmm. Chicago's currently sitting in that second wild card spot. The third is currently Miami, only half a game up on both Arizona and Cincinnati. So if you want to talk about the teams that are really competing with each other, it's Miami, Arizona, Cincinnati. But Chicago, I mean, you could imagine a scenario where the Diamondbacks take three of four in this series. They get Chicago again at Chase Field in only a couple of days after that. I think you have seven games against Chicago in 11 days. 
you could flip the script and win five or six of those games, and all of a sudden you're not just in good position for that third wild card. Now all of a sudden you might open up that second wild card position as well. But Chicago's also trying to win their division. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like, you know, oh, if, you know, on a best case scenario level, absolutely they could be competing for the second wild card spot. But. Man, the Cubs have been good lately. I mean, that offense, aside from the Braves, I think it's been the highest scoring offense in the league since July. Uh, and they just swept the Giants. And, you know, you mentioned the Marlins and the Reds. The Giants are still in it for that third wild card spot. But, I mean, getting swept by the Cubs really put them down a little bit. And the Giants have not been playing great baseball as of late. So um, the Cubs have been really, really good. The D-backs are going to see their ace, Justin Steele, in this series. They're going to see Javier Assad, who has had a good season for them. And then they'll see Jameson Tyone and Kyle Hendricks, who it's, it's been unsteady, but, you know, these are still guys with track records. So it's it's going to be a really difficult series for them to go on the road against a red-hot Cubs team uh, and pick up a series win. If they can do it, that would be huge. Um, they've struggled, you know, especially lately against the better teams on their schedule. I mean, that Dodgers and Orioles series... Those those were tough. Um, then they come back and had a nice bounce back series against the Rockies, although one they probably should have swept. Yeah, it, it's going to be a difficult weekend for them. But you're right. They could put themselves in such good position by taking three out of four of these games. Even if they split and they come back and they could beat the Cubs in a series next weekend back at Chase Field. I'd feel that okay also about that. Feels pretty good. So, yeah, that's it's a huge, huge opportunity for them. There's going to there's you know some roster shake up here. You mentioned Nelson's coming back up to start a game. Lawler's going to be in the lineup for these some of these games. It's going to be you know a lot to put on some of these players. But, yeah, every opportunity is still in front of them with them being so close right now. The Cubs have won four in a row. They are the third highest scoring offense in the National League this season. They have a run differential of plus 101. How many, uh, how many teams are biting themselves for not taking a chance on Cody Bellinger, huh? Yeah, I think that might be one of... I mean, he might be the comeback player of the year, unless there's an obvious storyline that I'm missing in my head right now. But, I mean, Cody Bellinger has really revitalized his career at a time when, you're right, nobody really wanted him. Felt like the Cubs were t- just taking a flyer. The Brewers, who currently sit, by my math, half a game up on Chicago, they have a plus, uh, differential of uh, plus 24. Chicago's mm. is plus 101. <laughs> so, I mean, that is a bizarre division where it feels like the Cubs should be leading in the division. But I mean, they just currently. won a series against the Brewers, too. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's not a great time to catch the Cubs, but if... You know, you want to get to the postseason, you're going to have to beat these teams. It just is what it is. Miami's won six in a row. They're currently sitting half a game up on Arizona and Cincinnati, as we talked about. Um, they just lost Sandy Alcantara and Jorge Soler to the IL, though. Yeah, that's And then they true. still beat the crowd, the heck out of the Dodgers. So uh, One of the more bizarre teams, I know we've kind of hit on this a couple times this season, but I, I can't help but look at San Diego, and their run differential is plus 64. And they have probably, without a doubt, the Cy Young winner this year in Blake Snell. And yet somehow they are still seven games back of the last wild card. Look at their uh, record in one run games. I don't have it up right in front of me. Do you know it off the top of your head? Uh, they're over, <laughs> I think. Or not even all over, year. But, uh, oh it's gosh. pretty. It's pretty down. It's pretty down. Um, yeah, it's just bizarre to see a team be like so good at certain things and then fall so flat over the course of an entire season okay so yeah, arizona the exact number up but it's 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 pretty eye-opening as far as what their record is um in these one run games here you go so they are i'm not over that was an exaggeration but they're six for 22 oh. in one run games and they're there it is oh for 11 in extra inning games yikes yeah so that's not great you could, that's that that's how you have a good run differential and you still 
are flailing below One 500. One of the most bizarre. We're all going to look back on 2023 and we're going to be like, a case what study. What the heck happened with the Padres and the Mets? Yeah. That's bizarre. I mean, the Mets at least jumped ship midseason. The Padres kind of just stayed pat and boy did it not work <laughs> whatever they decided to do all right i'm excited for this cub series i had two really important cub series over the next couple of days we'll see how much work jordan lawler gets in the lineup mm-hmm. and what this new younger version of the diamondbacks can do can they make it to the postseason i guess we're gonna find out thanks so much for checking out the ain't no fang podcast this week for my good friend alex weiner i'm steve zinsmeister you've been listening to the ain't no fang podcast here on arizona sports the local sports leader yeah.